0: But there's a lot of people who have that mentality in their lives as, I am a self-server. I'm going to serve my wants, my desires, my pleasures. I'm going to serve myself. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, we call him our Lord and Savior. And to be Lord, then we bow down and say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to serve you and serve you alone.
1: Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: I'm excited about looking into the Epistle of Galatians because it's Paul pouring out his heart to several churches that he had he had helped found. And we learn about the founding of these churches in Acts chapter 14. I just assume, I would think that, you know, this is the beginning. Acts chapter 14 tells us about the, the first missionary journey that Paul was able to go on. And as he went out on this first missionary journey, it was a first step of faith, something that they would never done before as Paul and Barnabas and initially uh, John Mark went out with them they went in preaching the gospel, going into these different towns that the gospel never came to these cities. No one had come and heralded the gospel to them. And Paul and Barnabas, knowing and realizing that they were the very first ones, that had to be exciting, especially when people began to believe. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people began to believe, and as they leave these cities, they pulled together a core group and and began to say, and it, it would have to be amazing, but some of these places, Paul wasn't able to stay very long because of persecution. So he'd preach, people would get saved, the Greeks and the Jews would get jealous, they would persecute, try to run out of town, or even kill the church in Thessalonica. As far as we know from Scripture in Acts chapter 17, Paul was only there for three weeks. In that short period of time, he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and then say to some who were in there, all right, now you're going to be the pastor of this church. I got to go and I'll send a letter when I can. But right now you're going to be pastor and we're just going to pray, lay hands upon you, that God's grace would be upon you. And, and, And they would leave. In this first missionary journey what happened was that Paul and Barnabas went through and they preached through these cities it would be like us saying that they went to Lake County and they preached in several of the cities in Lake County and in uh, the region of Galatia there was we know from Acts 14 there was Antioch of Pisidia uh, Iconium Lystra and Derbe that he preached to there could have been more cities than this But these are the four that we know that are named. As he preached through the cities on the return trip, he came back and encouraged them in their faith. So he hit the cities again. And then he went back to the home base in Antioch. And then he heard that there's some stuff going on there were some people, what happened? These Judaizers came in. They were Jewish believers in Jesus Christ that came in and taught the Gentiles, those who were not Jews, that in order to really be saved, this is what you need to do. You need to, yes, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but also, guys, sorry, but you have to be circumcised because this is how we do it in Judaism. And also, you got to follow the law. Now, It's not that circumcision can be wrong in and of itself. It's not that following the law is a bad thing. But what they were saying, basically, by doing these three things, by accepting Christ, being circumcised, and following the law, then you're truly saved. The problem was that they took Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, faith in Christ alone and his work upon the cross, and they added to it. And whenever we add two, we put Jesus plus anything else, then we are perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and the gospel message was being perverted to the churches in Galatia. These new Christians, they you're a brand new Christian, and then you have some folks coming from the mother church. For us in Calvary Chapel, it would be like people coming from Calvary Costa Mesa and saying, we heard you guys here in Illinois, you don't know exactly how a Calvary Chapel, we're we're going to come and show you how to do it. And these are the things that Pastor Chuck would want you to do. And then, you know, I could call up Pastor Chuck and say, hey, Pastor Chuck, there's some people who came, and they said that we need to do this, 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 and this to actually be a Calvary Chapel. And he could go, well, I never sent them. And that is exactly what is going on in this passage. We learn in Acts chapter 15 that this issue of the Judaizers coming in and saying that it's Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus keeping the law, that in Acts chapter 15, they have, we read in the book of Acts, what is called the Jerusalem Council, where they brought together Peter, James, and John, and Paul, and Barnabas, and many others in the church, the leaders there, and they said, look, Is it Jesus plus anything else? The Gentiles who are coming to faith, do we have to add anything to their faith? Or is Jesus's blood sufficient? And so they dealt with that issue and said that Christ's blood alone is sufficient. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the law. Now, what we understand is that the book of Galatians has this theme of that there is liberty in Christ Jesus. We have freedom in Christ Jesus, but the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, don't mistake the freedom for liberality in the sense that, well, now that I'm saved, I can do anything I want because when I die, I'm going to heaven. I got that because I've accepted Jesus into my heart. And what we find in the book of Galatians, what I believe is being taught, is that now that we're saved, the love of Christ compels us to love and serve one another, not to serve ourselves. You know, if you have that attitude of, I can do anything that I want, you're a self-server. You know, you go to the gas station, and we don't have full service hardly anywhere that I know of anymore. But you always serve yourself. You want some gas, you go serve yourself and, and get the gas and have it pumped into your car. But there's a lot of people who have that mentality in their lives It's I am a self-server. I'm going to serve my wants, my desires, my pleasures. I'm going to serve myself. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, We call him our Lord and Savior. And to be Lord, then we bow down and say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to serve you and serve you alone. So the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus that is taught here in the book of Galatians is not to serve ourselves, but to, in love, serve one another, as we will learn as we go through this uh, book of Galatians here. We find in the book of Galatians that we are justified by faith in in Galatians 3.11, just as a little preview to the whole book. Martin Luther, when he was a young monk, priest in the Catholic Church, struggling with the issue of faith and all the rules and regulations of the Catholic Church at that time, he came across this passage in Galatians, what we know as Galatians 3.11, where it says, "...the just shall live by faith." And in Martin Luther, this transformed his whole life and many of our lives as a result because there was that teaching of the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the issue of faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, not adding to anything else. If I ever stand before you and say that, you know, you need to receive Christ plus, come to every Wednesday night Bible study or you're not truly saved. We know the ones who are truly saved. If I start adding to, you know, if you're not there on Monday night for prayer, if you're going to start missing the breakfasts that we have for the ladies and the men, those things are all benefits to us, to the body, to come together and to worship and to fellowship one another. But they are not any, in any means a necessary step of our salvation. Our salvation is in Christ alone, the just shall live by faith, or it's called justification by faith. That word justification has been described like this, just as though I've never sinned. That position of faith, of justification, it's in Christ Jesus alone. It's in faith in Jesus and his work. But also we'll learn in this book that we are kept by the grace of God. We're saved by grace in this chapter. uh, In our verses today, we in verse 6, learn of the grace of Christ. Uh, Paul will go on to use that word grace, charis in the Greek, six or seven times in the book of Galatians. But we are kept by grace. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. I just think about all the Lord has done for me, my family, and how he is blessed. It's God's grace. Is it deserved? Would I ever stand before the Lord? Maybe in a a moment of, uh, well, it would be sin, Lord, I deserve this. Look what I've done for you. But I probably had those look what I've done prayers to the Lord every once in a while when things aren't going my way, Lord, and crying out. But realize it's the Lord's grace in our lives that we are kept by grace, that there's that freedom in Christ Jesus. and, And we'll learn toward the end of Galatians that we walk in the Spirit, and it helps us it will keep us from fulfilling the lust of the flesh. So the freedom is not that of liberality where we can do anything we want. The freedom comes in order that we may serve one another. But Paul is fighting here, and he begins right off the bat. Um, early on in verse 6, he'll, he'll hit it right away. He's fighting this issues of Judaizers, but I believe in verse 1 he also begins to deal with it, even in his introduction, as he says to us in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Paul, an apostle. I believe right there, Paul is beginning to deal with the issue of the Judaizers, because we learned through the writings of Paul that there were men who were actually saying, Paul's not really an apostle. You know, he's not one of the Twelve, You know who the 12 are, the ones who walked with Jesus. Paul wasn't one of those. And and Paul will, in verse 11, begin to defend his position as an apostle of Jesus Christ even further and even into chapter 2. So he's got to deal with this. But right from the beginning, he said, I am an apostle. The word apostle in the uh, Greek means one who has been sent forth with commands. The sense is that Jesus Christ has commanded me and sent me forth with the message of the gospel. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. In one sense, we're all sent forth. But we also know in the church that there is that title of apostle. And I don't know, I I actually get uncomfortable. And I was at a church like four weeks ago. And what I would call the pastor of that church, his title was apostle. And I just... I get uncomfortable. We had a guy come in on one of the midweek days uh, while I was here by myself, and he walked in the door and he said, hello, I'm minister so-and-so. And And my first thought was, okay, minister so-and-so, what church do you minister at? Because he didn't have a church. So um, just running around with the title, it really bugs me sometimes that we get so caught up in titles. I do believe that there are apostles today. You know, I I think of great men and women of faith, especially like our own founder of the Calvary Chapel movement. He would never call himself an apostle, but he probably meets the qualification of that big title. Billy Graham, maybe meeting that qualifications of the big title. But to be sent forth, realize that we've all been sent to declare the message of Jesus Christ. It's not that we have to Carry the title around, and I don't want to see anybody printing up business cards saying that I'm Apostle so and so. But Paul knew his calling. There is um, something that we can go back even further in Scripture when we think about the apostles of Scripture. We think about those men and women, or those men who walked with Christ at that time, but also um, they had the qualifications of seeing in Acts chapter 1 being with him during his life, but also seeing him in life and his death and his resurrection. Now, we can't see his resurrected body today. We don't meet the precise qualifications that were laid out in Acts chapter 1. But Paul said, I have seen the resurrected Lord. He said, I was one born out of due season. So he pulls himself into those qualifications. I'm an apostle, not for men. Men didn't call me. Men didn't give me the title. It wasn't through men, but it was through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. He goes on in verse three and he says, grace and peace to you from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe this is part of the apostolic ministry that he had Realize he said, grace and peace. Now, when I sign most of my writing, I sign blessings, pastor John, it depends on who I'm signing to. If it's my sister's They don't get a Pastor John. They get their brother John or Johnny or whatever. But, you know, I just, blessings. God bless you. uh, Something like that. But realize how Paul worded this here. He said, the grace and the peace is from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. To me, it is the Apostle Paul getting dictation from the Holy Spirit saying, Paul, I want you to bless my body and tell them that I'm sending them grace, and I'm sending them peace. I'm blessing them. It's God who's blessing here. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is giving forth the blessing. Now, in every one of Paul's epistles, there's 13 that he has signed by name that we know they're Paul's. In every one of them, he always says, grace and peace. It's it's there in all 13 to where it's been nicknamed the Siamese twins of the Bible, that you will always find grace and peace together, but you cannot find the peace of God unless you first discover the grace of God in your life. It is grace first and then peace. The only change in his formula of, of salutation, this introduction, is when he writes Pastor Timothy in first and second Timothy, or writes Pastor Titus in the Epistle of Titus. There he inserts the word mercy. He says, Grace to you mercy and peace. Now I don't know if Paul was just telling us pastors that you guys need a little extra dose of mercy every once in a while. But there is the change in the formula there. Grace and peace. That Greek word is charis that's found there and it means to have properly it means joy, pleasure and delight, a sweetness, a charm, a loving that is in our life. It's really the sense of bestowing goodwill upon someone else. The word that is translated as peace is found in every New Testament book, except for 1 John. It's always there. The sense of peace, this quietness, this rest. I don't know about you, but there is a lot of uh, noise in this world. We create a lot of the noise ourselves, and and we like having noise. But I like quietness. I like rest. I like peace. I like the fact that the Lord enables me to go to bed in peace, in rest, in sleep. It's grace and peace that has been bestowed upon us from God the Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. There's this process of how we have peace with God, how we find this grace in God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, the just, remember, shall live by faith. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. We stand in grace. What the Judaizers were saying to the church in the region of Galatia, they were saying that you stand in the law. Yes, there's salvation in Jesus Christ, but you need to stand in the law. You need to do these things that we can't do. And that's basically the truth. They couldn't keep it. And that was the whole thing in Acts chapter 15, when they were debating this issue of the law Peter said, we're, we're trying to put a yoke of bondage upon these people that we and our forefathers could not even keep. We can't do them. Why should we try to put this yoke upon someone else? It's salvation through grace, through faith alone. And from that comes the grace and the peace from our Lord. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe, is revealed just here in verse four. It's just a, a small little verse but it is the revelation of the gospel when it refers in verse 3 it continues on into the next verse it says our lord and S- lord jesus christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our god and father to whom be glory forever and ever amen so the gospel of jesus christ is that he gave he gave himself now we know the most famous verse in scripture Probably is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But in the writings of Paul, Paul tells us six times that Jesus gave himself here in this verse four that we had just read, who gave himself for our sins. In Galatians two twenty, Paul says it this way. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Ephesians 5.2, Paul says to walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Ephesians 5.25, this is a great wedding passage, but it says, husbands, it's not just for wedding day. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. 1 Timothy 2.5 and 6, it says, there is one God, one mediator between men and God, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. He gave himself as a ransom. And then finally in Titus 2.14, again, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Jesus Christ gave himself, and if I could summarize all six verses, he gave himself for our sins as an offering and a sacrifice to God because he loves us Because he paid our ransom to redeem us to himself, to purify to himself his own special people for good works. There's a purpose for this great gift. And this purpose is to do good works in the name of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Because of the great grace that he has bestowed upon us, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who bore our sins gave himself upon the cross for our sins, that he would deliver us from this present evil world and then also give us a place in heaven. So there's two, two deliverances that he has made available for those who call upon his name. One is the deliverance. I mean, what do you mean, John? Deliver us from this present evil world. I'm still here, aren't I? Yeah, but you're not caught in the bondage of sin. For Christ has freed you for those who have put his faith in him. But also the bonus, we get to be with the Lord forever. We are not anathema. We are not destined to be separated from God. Let him be accursed, anathema. We are the blessed of the Lord, those who put our faith in him. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these things that you have revealed to us here in Galatians chapter 1. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless this study, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would help us to understand the position that we have in you as believers, Lord, that you would help us to understand the freedom that we have in you, and then this freedom, Lord, that you would help us to serve one another in love. Lord, if we can come through this passage of Galatians from chapter 1 to chapter 6 and come through this as a church and come through serving you by serving others. Lord, our church will be blessed greatly. So I pray, Lord, for the freedom that you have bestowed. I pray, Lord, that each of us know and have come to accept this freedom through our faith in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.